Hello, and welcome to The Right Side of History, a show dedicated to exploring current events through a historical lens and busting left-wing myths about figures and events of America's past. My name is Jared Stepman, a contributor to The Daily Signal, and I'm joined by my co-host, Fred Lucas, who is The Daily Signal's White House correspondent. Thank you for joining us, Fred. Yeah, thanks. Uh, This week, we're discussing Black History Month and the underrated black conservative thinkers Americans should pay more attention to. And Fred, I think we'll we'll just start out. And, you know, this month is not only Black History Month, but it's also uh, the anniversary of uh, Frederick Douglass. Uh, his birthday, which was actually on, on Valentine's Day, 1818. And I, I think that uh, he certainly uh, somebody as uh, fun of, funny enough, the president said we should be paying more and more attention to, uh, maybe a little bit accidentally. Right. Um, he, he is somebody we should be paying more attention yeah, to for certainly uh, uh, for conservatives and those who believe in limited government and individual rights. I think he's a figure that has long been overlooked in American history that I think a lot of young people don't get a whole lot of history, uh, Frederick Douglass and what he means and his ideas as, as one of the great abolitionists uh, in history. Yeah, and I, I, he, he very much was, a, I guess, a classic liberal, a, what some people might even say a libertarian, uh, and, and some of the things that he articulated. And uh, I think that that might not necessarily fit in with what the... Uh, New York Times uh, <laughs> uh, might classify him as in a recent piece that they had. Yeah, that, and so that's that's something that w- was very interesting um, that just recently came out a piece uh, in the New York Times, and the New York Times has probably recognized that a lot of conservatives uh, are, are glomming on to Frederick Douglass now and, and kind of claiming him as certainly not just as one of their own, but as somebody who we should be paying attention to. His di- ideas are, are very much relevant to those who believe in liberty and, and, and limited government, and it was very interesting. This piece in the New York Times, uh, you know, that just really uh, blasted uh, the idea that uh, Frederick Douglass was anything like a, a, a conservative or a, li- a libertarian. This was actually this piece was written by David Blight. The Blight side of history. The, the Blight side of yeah. history, and he he kind of denigrated essentially the modern conservatives for what he said was co-opting Frederick Douglass. I think he actually had one line I thought that was it was interesting when he was explaining a recent book that was talking about Frederick Douglass's attachment to individual rights and defending these things. He actually said. Uh, to believe that one has to ignore most of Douglas's career, especially his life as an abolitionist, his ferocious attacks on the poison of racism, and his brilliant analysis of how lynching emerged from the evils of white supremacy. Douglas believed that freedom was safe only within the state and under law. Well, I have to say, to think that those are not issues that libertarians or conservatives also uh, would like to highlight, I think, is is rather silly and a misunderstanding of what Frederick Douglass actually believed. Wouldn't you say so, Fred? Right, right. Absolutely. He, he was very dedicated to the Constitution. He was de- dedicated to the Declaration of Independence and those values. Uh, he believed in basically limited government. He he delivered a speech uh, in April 1865, the, the same month Lincoln was shot, actually, uh, about um, got got very much into what um, the government can do. And he basically said, do not try to help us. Let us succeed. Uh, basically, give us liberty uh, to to fend for ourselves. But uh, but 
he, he didn't seek a lot of help. And if you want to read yeah, it out, it, patch it a little bit. It, it's actually, it's it's a remarkable speech. I, I, I encourage everybody to read this. It's uh, it's called What the Black Man Wants. Spe- uh, it's a speech by Frederick Douglass to a Massachusetts anti-slavery society. And of course, people must understand, this is at the end of the Civil War. Uh, this is when, of course, many black Americans were being emancipated at this time. This was the end, essentially, uh, of the slavery regime. And you know, he, was, he was discussing what exactly, you know, black Americans... Americans should want at the end of this thing. And he has this great quote. He says, everybody has asked a question and they learned to ask it early of the abolitionists. What shall we do with the Negro? I have had but one um, one answer from the beginning. Do nothing with us. Your doing with us has already played the mischief with us. Do not do nothing with us. If the apples will not remain on the tree of their own strength, if they are worm eaten at the core, if they are early ripe and disposed to fall, let them fall. I'm not for tying or fastening them on the tree in any way, except by nature's plan. If they will not stay there, let them fall. And if the Negro cannot stand on his own legs, let him fall also. All I ask is, give him a chance to stand on his own legs. Let him alone. And I think that's a very powerful statement, certainly one that... Uh, many libertarians would certainly glom on to. I think this idea that you know people must be always helped by the government, they must be helped by these things. And what he's saying essentially is, you know, finally let these people live in freedom and actually have some freedom to stand their own legs, to to make for themselves a new life in, the, in this country. I mean, that is what essentially was the original promise of America, as, as the Constitution was created and the Declaration explained. You know, this this idea of America is that everybody has natural individual rights, that we are all born free and equal, and that we have a chance under the law and the system of laws to make something for ourselves. Would you say that, Fred? Yeah, and he was actually uh, uh, something that's a, an issue today, which is identity politics. He was very much an opponent of that. Uh, in one of his speeches, uh, he said, speaking of the great battle against slavery, he said the great battle was won, not because of the victim of slavery was a Negro, Maludo, or African uh, Afro-American, but because the victim of slavery was a man and a brother to all other men, a child of God, and could claim with all mankind a common father, and therefore should be recognized as an accountable being, a subject of government, and entitled to justice, liberty, and equality before the law and everywhere else. Yeah, it, what's what's great about this? I mean, this really shows. Uh, I mean, Douglas's devotion to the American Revolution, to the the Enlightenment, to the ideas that were present at the beginning of the United States that people will be judged as individuals and, and not as part of groups. I think that's something that we see certainly in America today as we, we've seen kind of a rise of this identity politics. Right. You know, your group, group means, rights above individual rights. Exactly. And, and that's not what he was for, I mean, clearly in his own words. And, and, and Douglas was certainly for these individual liberties. Obviously, these ones had been denied uh, to, to many Americans based right. on group based, identity. Right. He wanted to end that, and and by doing so, you know, we've spoken about this on a previous show of the right side of history about the idea of natural God-given rights that they are applicable to all people at all times. And uh, Douglas was, I think, his genius was tying the principles of the American Revolution that all Americans could understand and that they knew was, you know, he said these things are true. The Declaration of Independence, when it does say that all men are created equal, it means. 
all men are created equal. And this was a very powerful statement that was used that convinced a lot of Northerners that and, and Southerners, uh, to, certainly after the war, uh, that, that essentially these people had been denied their individual rights. They had been denied the original promise of the founding. And certainly it, it drew a lot of debate in those days. But uh, what, what is remarkable to me about Douglas is through all of this, you know, there were a lot of abolitionists that were very much against the, the Constitution. They said it was a pact with the devil. It has done terrible things. It has kept people down. But Douglas was a fan of the Constitution. I mean, he liked these things that uh, this nation was created on. I mean, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, he, he was a very much a, um, a, a a philosophical leader, I think, in like what what America has been, what it's going forward, what what it should be. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you know, I think of one of his rivals at the time, or you wouldn't say rival, but fellow abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison, who said, hey, let's burn the Constitution, let's burn it to the ground. And Douglas was perhaps a little wiser, said, no, you know, the Constitution ultimately is the greatest anti-slavery document. It's something that you know, preserves the rule of law, and, and it does uh, offer the, the potential, which, of course, you know, adding the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, you know, ending this idea of, of slavery um, in America forever. So, you know, I think we certainly owe a great deal to to Frederick Douglass, and, and, and I would hope that many uh, people go back and read some of his writings. It's, you know, of course, you know, history is a complex thing. I mean, it's certainly the, the times often dictate, you know, the sides that people will be on and things like that. But I think we can all learn something from reading the writings of Frederick Douglass and seeing what he said um, to, to people of his own generation. Yeah, and, and there is a, a, a book out about him now, the— Self-made man, Peter C. Myers, uh, and that's that's something that's uh, can inform a lot of people about him today. Absolutely, I, I think that the Daily Signal has we, we've definitely published a lot, and the Heritage Foundation has definitely focused on uh, Douglas's legacy and you know, what he meant for this country. And you certainly can find a lot of materials. You know, we will have posted uh, links uh, to this uh, that you can read yourself. So, uh, so one thing I think we'd like to do switch to now is. Uh, uh, we'd like to, to do a quick segment here with uh, our, our guest uh, that um, who could talk a little bit to us about B- Black History Month and what it means in American history and some, I think, very overlooked figures on the civil rights movement. It, you know, might not be exactly what what you think of the civil rights movement. So he has a lot of interesting things to say about this topic and many others. I want to introduce our guest today uh, to talk about Black History Month. That is uh, Bob Parks. He uh, Early in his career, he was an investigative reporter for the Guam Tribune. He went on to work for Fox Broadcasting and actually has a Simpsons credit to his name. At one point, he was the, a work, worked as a graphic designer also in Hollywood. Uh, went on to host a show in Boston called, called Black and Right. And then went on to found, be the founder of MRC-TV. He has written for The Washington Times, Breitbart, and has appeared as an analyst on Fox News, CNN, and BBC. Thanks for joining us, Bob. And wanted to open up about um, black history and um, a conservative aspect of that, uh, if, if you want to well, jump in thanks. as a broad question. There. Thanks, yeah. Fred. It's, it's, again, nice seeing you. Uh, yeah. We've worked together in the yes, past. Yes, we did. At and um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it's great seeing you doing those uh, at those press conferences. Nice <laughs> seeing your face there. <laughs> Thank um, you very much. I, um, I'm, I've always been very torn about the whole February celebration of Black History Month. 
because it's been uh, an event that has been created and has been co-opted by political sides, both sides. You have one side that looks at Black History Month as a way of promoting a an ideology and a philosophy that is in factual error. When you look at the left, for example, they claim to be the party of civil rights. But if you ask the average high schooler who has studied a history, who has, who has been in a history class, they will be very limited in their knowledge of what happened during the civil rights era. If you look at a lot of history books, there's about 150 years worth of history missing because it is very inconvenient to the people who write the books, who are of a political leaning, and to have to admit that their party, who promotes themselves as the party of civil rights, really wasn't. That is something that they, they reluctantly admit. And then you have the conservatives, on the other hand, who want to celebrate Black History Month. But in some cases, there are people, and I won't mention names, but there are people who try to co-opt black history as a, as a way of saying, I discovered black history, the real black history. First of all, you can't d- discover anything that you find on the Internet because somebody <laughs> had to put it there. Yeah. So and, and history happened. And, and, and <laughs> no his, one creates it. History happened, right. and it's just trying to find who uh, the most non-biased filter as to what happened. I look at the state of journalism today, for example. Journalism should be actually the most boring uh, profession there is because you should just tell what happened. It should be the who, where, and when. You ask the average person, they say who, what, where, when, and how, when, why. But if you weren't there, you wouldn't know how it happened, and you wouldn't know why it happened. Then that's where you start speculating, and that's where you get the the the, the mixture of bias into your reporting. Same thing happens with history. Those who write the history can determine what how it's presented. And so for that reason, when I see these different celebrations, I just sort of cringe. And it doesn't matter what side it's on, because a lot of times they they speak from from ignorance. There was a there's a college. I won't mention the college's name, besides the fact that it's in the 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 the, the, I guess the north, the the northern part of the country. (laughs) And, And and a few years ago. They were outed as having this plaque when you enter the college that said Abraham Lincoln, who emancipated the slaves, was a Democrat. And then when they were called on it, they said, well, we were really right because he had Democratic values. So even in education today, Black History Month is presented in a way that is fraudulent. And we are the only group in this country, like I said, whose history is a work in progress, depending on who it is you talk to. And it's very it's very sad. Absolutely. I, I think one thing we, we were discussing a little bit uh, before the show is, you know, there are a lot of, uh, frankly, heroes of, you could say, the civil rights movement that are now, uh, you can't say, are kind of forgotten, that are people that weren't necessarily drawing attention to themselves. Not a whole lot of Americans know who these people are. I think you have some knowledge about some of these civil rights heroes that maybe people don't know about who they'd like to know more about. Can you explain some of these people that we were discussing uh, before the show, who they were, what they were about, what they were trying to do? for us? Sure. Well, I remember one time when I was driving in Los Angeles and, and I was in, stuck in traffic and I was listening to Hugh Hewitt 
and he had on Shelby Steele. And it was Shelby Steele who first alerted me personally, and this was back in the uh, in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, uh, that um, black history was not how it was portrayed. And it, it prompted me to go and do research to find out the truth. Um, through my years later at becoming an activist, um, I was reached out to by Frances Rice. She passed away a few years ago, and she was way ahead of her time as far as trying to get different black people, different black quote-unquote leaders. That's another thing I tried to avoid because black people are the only group in this country that has um, unelected leaders. Whenever something happens in the news, we got to bring some black people in to interpret it for the rest of the country. What really happened? So Frances Rice was very careful at who she reached out to, but her whole message was trying to uh, break this myth that the that one party was this party of civil rights. And in fact, uh, because of uh, her prompting and encouragement, and it, it made me dig further. I created a piece, which you guys hopefully will link to on with this along with this. Of course. And um, I went to a certain party's website <laughs> and went to the history section. It said that this was the party that was responsible for the passage of every single piece of civil rights legislation in this nation's history, which is a bold-faced lie because— when I went to do some research and I went to one, what I thought would be a great neutral place, you know, I was naive, but I figured it was a nice neutral place to start. I went to PBS.org and they, it turns out they had done a documentary on the Jim Crow era. And it, you go to it and it has these two columns. One party in the left was for the Republican Party and the other one was for the Democrat Party. The... The Republican Party, right at the top, it said the abolitionist party to slavery. Well, that was news to me because they don't teach that in <laughs> right. school. Now, when I went to the Democrat Party, it said the, the original slogan of the Democrat Party was the white man's party. And I said, what, well, what's going on here? And that prompted me to do more, more research and searching. And, and I found out all kinds of things that... I did not know. When we hear one side being called the Ku Klux Klan, it never talks about who created them in the first place and what their purpose was. They were a political arm, a terrorist enforcement arm of a political party that kept blacks from voting one way. And so the first Republican or the first uh, um, congressmen and senators in this country weren't the party that you would expect them to be or what we've been told that they would be because they weren't allowed to be anything else but Republican. And that kind of encouragement from people like from people like um, Francis Rice was very important. Um, she did not have the luxury of being able to go on Facebook and, and, and do a, a live rant. As I've seen so many people do today, while their motives may be altruistic, they're still self-serving because you you see their comments later. Get this to Fox News, huh. okay? Um, and I'm and, I'll, and I'm sorry. And I know have you have you have you ever been interviewed on Fox News? No. It's a very overrated experience. I'll tell you that for all the people who want to be on Fox News, you sit there, you wait. 
for your drop, and then the host will introduce what you wanted to talk about and set it up in a way that you'll end up saying, exactly what I agree <laughs> with you. Watch these interviews. That's the first thing. It's a strategic thing. And I went off topic, but the whole point is there are so many people who have great energy today, but the motivations sometimes, again, puts me in that cringe category when it comes to anything involving black Republicans, black conservatives, and why they are so motivated on being up front. And in you know, and in your face, is it really about enlightenment, or is it about co-opting a message, aka Joy Villa? Okay, I mean, when Joy Villa came out with that Trump dress, and you had all these people going, "Oh, that's so cute, that's great," and then you find out she was a Bernie supporter, you find out her past, or you find out it's kind of clear she voted for, she did not vote for um, the president, Donald Trump. Huh. Okay, I mean, so there's so many people who try to co-opt to get into, you know, and say, I am the newest, latest black it. And it it creates a lot of pessimism. And you make a a good point. I mean, this should really be about getting to the truth. What is what is accurate? What is uh, and a lot of people want to co-opt things for political purposes, of course, you know, the kind of football that goes on, you know, at right side of history. We hope we can kind of elucidate things. And, you know, we we like the fact that you speak at length on these topics that I think a lot of people don't know about or would like to know more. I think it kind of shows, especially when it comes to, you know, the civil rights era through, you know, the last 150 years. There are a lot of Americans who simply don't know. They don't have much information, even though they want to. Our schools have done a very poor job of teaching this history accurately because, of course, I mean, look, there are a lot of political motivations. Unfortunately, there are a lot of schools that are just poor or, you know, they don't teach things correctly. They don't even have the materials to teach things correctly. And, and it is good to, you know, go back and say, you know, what you, you learned about these things were wrong. Here, we can give you a, a longer explanation. And, you know, they don't always fit into, you know, the narratives that we want to. But in seeking the truth, that's what we should all care about. I mean, that's certainly at the end of the day what's most important well exactly and it's it should be as as history is taught it should not be as this is it this is how it happened because you weren't there but it should prompt people to go and want to look for more it's still part of the education process and you can look and get different varying opinions on what happened, and you can come to your own. But it's not about saying, this is the way it was, and this is the group that did it, this is the group that's on your side, this is the group you should vote for. I mean, you know, because that's what uh, it, it comes down and, to. Um, but, I mean, put labels aside, Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. Um, I think there is an aspect, though, that uh, a lot of the— Early civil rights heroes, Frederick Douglass, who we've talked about, uh, Booker T. Washington, Dr. King, when in the I Have a Dream speech, it was it was very much rooted in the Declaration of Independence and in Scripture. Um, and I, I guess that that's an aspect where we conventionally think of that as conservative. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, when I was freelancing in Los Angeles, um, I got a job working for doing graphics for a nationally televised um, televangelist ministry in South Central Los Angeles. It was actually right around the corner from the from um, Florence and Normandy where the L.A. riot broke out. Oh. And um, what was really illuminating while well, working there was as I had to drive around through South Central, you will find 
more places of worship per square block than any place in the country when you drive through a black community. So with that, it's always astounded me when you have uh, enter- the entertainment industry that will go out of their way to lump um, Christians and conservatism in a negative way. But then when you look at black people, they are some of the most religious people in this country. And they don't realize, or maybe they don't care, that these pe- these these celebrities are denigrating the very people who they need to be reaching out to. Because when you start looking at um, morals and Christian standards, you are now saying, well, there are certain things in this world you should be able to do and there's certain things that you can't do. And there's actually a power greater than you. And that's one thing a lot of liberals don't like to admit, because it it usually stops somewhere here in the government, as far as they're the arbiters of right and wrong. We we did a previous show on God-given rights and natural law. So, yeah, that's kind of falls into that, I think. Yeah, I think certainly one of the—I mean, it's something that they like to ignore now, especially the abolitionist movement before the Civil War was so guided by— Religious Americans. I think this. They try to see themselves as, ah, oh, you know, we were the the champions. But this was really, it was a religious movement. I mean, Americans were very religious, certainly at that time. You know, they were the ones who were driving uh, the road to abolition. Uh, I mean, more than anybody else, it was mm-hmm. because of their religious Christian principles. They said, no, this is a, a wrong that needs to be righted. Uh, I think that's very much overlooked in kind of this debate about the role of abolition. Uh, I think it's something that our, our schools don't really teach, and certainly I think our media would like to very much over. Overlook this, and certainly, as you say today, in the black me, there is such a high level of of religion uh, that you know we don't see this in our Hollywood movies, we don't see this in our media. I think it's something that you know is something that has been overlooked incredibly over the last uh, fifty years. Well, if if anything, if you do see religion portrayed. Um, when it comes to black people, it's usually about that black preacher who is usually a scammer or he's usually overweight. And it's almost a person. It's almost a caricature right. of of um, religion. And Morris Dees, who's the, the founder of the Southern Poverty Law Center, he mm. even referred to he was quoted as basically saying that he learned how to be a salesman by going to the black church and listening to the black preacher. Now, what does that say? Hmm. Isn't that kind of disparaging? He learned how to, he basically implies he learned how to hustle from a black preacher. Okay. And so again, how the left co-ops blacks and then they make black history month into this wonderful thing that we should, that we should observe. And they use, and as a graphic designer, you can make um, implications based on simple things like the fonts you use. Whenever they use, you see anything about Black History Month, and even Glenn Beck did it when he did his Founding Fathers thing, and he was talking about um, Black History. They use this African-looking fonts with these earth tones and nothing, you know. And and I'm sorry, in the years that we're in now, why can't we use a modern font? Why does always it always have to look like tribal? Okay, there's all this inherent racism, and I'm and I and I use that word very cautiously. But when you when we we start took, taking how black history and black people are portrayed, it's always in this. You know, you look at that African American museum; it looks like a bush. 
Okay, I'm sorry. Why couldn't they make something modern? But no, they had to get. They got this grading that looks. It looks like a representation of a bush. <laughs> And, and that's just that's just the way I look at it. I'm sorry. Uh, and again, I told you, I have a very um, jaded eye when I see anything involving black history, black heritage, and it has to look tribal. It's, it's a, you know, and there's so much that blacks have contributed music, not in the last 20 years, but black music, Motown. Absolutely. The Funk mm-hmm. Brothers. People don't know who. A lot of people don't know who the Funk Brothers were, but they were the the backup band that played in Motown for all of the hits. Absolutely. Okay, the Supremes, um, Smokey Robinson, all of those people. The Funk Brothers were the instrumentalists. They these guys have more number one hits than the Beatles, the Beach Boys, all of these people combined. Well, in classic rock too. I mean, you you see, look at Robert Johnson. I mean, I mean that is you know the beginning, the seeds of you know blues. Delta Blues. Yeah. I mean, which I I absolutely love. I mean, that is a product of you know, black culture in America that has produced these you know basically modern music is a product of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the, the, what you think of as modern American hu- music was produced by these men, especially in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century, who were innovators in what they were doing, and you know that you can hear. It in the music today, tones of what they were doing a generation past, which is a you know a marvelous part of our history and something that has left a permanent imprint, hopefully, on the United States long term. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, uh, I, I really appreciate you joining us for Right Side of History. And uh, Bob, if you want to give us some a uh, little bit more information about where our audience might find you, sure. Um, my website was originally called Black and Right, mm-hmm. but I got married. <laughs> so I, I happily changed the uh, URL, so it's now blackandblondemedia.com. Okay. And I invite um, people to go and do a Google search. You'll find it really easily. It's called uh, on a piece that has the timeline of uh, the black experience, as it were, poli- mm-hmm. politically. And it's called the Democrat Race Lie. And you can find that on our website as well. And again, it wasn't written... It was written originally because when I saw what the, that particular party wrote on their website, and, got, and I got a screen grab of it, that that was such a blatant misrepresentation, if not lie, about their role in the black experience in this country, that it prompted me to start looking. And so that everything is, is sourced. There's links, and you can go, and, and a lot of these, these sources uh, are nonpartisan. So it just tells you what happened. You can go and get your um, impressions from a, a variety of places on the Internet, and it's nothing that you will be the first to discover. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining Great. us. Thanks. Thank you. It. it was an honor. Another great hero of African-American history in this country is Booker T. Washington. Uh, He was the, in fact, the first black man uh, to be in the White House at the invitation of President Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, Jared, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Booker T. Washington is definitely, he's one of my heroes because, I mean, not only was this a person who actually experienced slavery, he had lived under slavery, he wrote this great book called Up From Slavery, which has uh, been an American bestseller, been on bookshelves, uh, you know, since he wrote it. 
uh, back in 1901. Uh, he really is a, a great American and, and a man who had a lot of suggestions, unfortunately not all heated, about you know what to do about the fact that historically black Americans had been uh, treated unfairly in this country and had been oppressed. And you know he his narrative essentially is you know we need to set an example. We need to build strong families. We need to work hard and essentially prove to our fellow Americans that you know we had been treated unfairly and we can be as good as anybody. And I think uh, Washington is uh, certainly one of those characters, I think, along with Douglas, uh, who's had an enormous impact on America. And maybe uh, maybe some of that impact has lessened as other figures have kind of r- risen to prominence. Many who disagreed with Booker T. Washington, I think he had a lot of debates with uh, another black, you could say, leader at the time, W.B. Du Bois, who saw essentially the rise of uh, racial identity politics as uh, an important thing for for Black Americans. Uh, Washington had a very different outlook, and and but I have to say, going back to Washington's writings, I think certainly now uh, is definitely a good thing for any American uh, to to understand uh, where he came from as as a as a man in the early 20th century who was trying to build something bigger and better for his country and for you know many of his American citizens who had had been treated unfairly, he grew up in I mean extreme extremes of poverty that we today can't quite understand, you know, some of these leaders are very important to go back and, and study and, and, and read about. So uh, it's certainly something that, you know, I hope this month people will take a, a little bit of time to go do. Okay. Um, so I, I think that's going to wrap us up. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the right side of history. All of the Heritage Foundation's podcasts are now featured on the Ricochet Audio Network. If you're coming to us from Ricochet, welcome. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us feedback. If you'd like to listen to past and future broadcasts, you can also check us out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the Daily Signal website. Also, take a look at the Daily Signal's Facebook page for when we air the next program. And if you're further interested in our work, check out on Twitter at, at Jared Setman or my Twitter at FredLucasWH. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to The Right Side of History, executive produced by Jarrett Stepman and Fred Lucas. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit heritage.org.